AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Hey Katie, I have a question for you about the future. All right, well, let me polish my crystal ball over here. All right, well, I'm wondering... What's the invention that will tell you that the future has arrived? You mean what will make me feel like I'm living in a science fiction novel? Yeah, exactly. And not something like a global pandemic or climate disaster. Let's avoid, you know, dystopian futures. Well, I'm tempted to say transporters or food replicators or sentient toasters, but I think the number one classic is the flying car. Nice, but you know, it makes me shiver to imagine what LA freeways will be like when they go three-dimensional. I thought you wanted to avoid dystopian futures. Yeah, you know, you're right, but driving in LA is a dystopia already. I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist, and I definitely want to be able to talk to sentient toasters. And I'm Katie, and I host a podcast called Creature Feature. And I think sentient toasters would be, it'd be an awkward conversation when you got to get your toastings burnt. <laughs> like you weren't clear enough about how much you wanted it toasted. I thought this is what you wanted. You're talking about an emotional toaster. Yeah, exactly. 
I would probably just eat burnt toast to spare its feelings. <laughs> Man, you just identified a huge downside to AI that now we have to worry about how everything feels. Oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly. Well, at least we don't have to worry about how planes feel yet. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, in which we don't worry about how the universe feels, but we do try to explain all of it to you. We dive deep into the very nature of reality, what the tiniest little particles are doing, what is real, what's going on down there, and we zoom all the way out to the hugest questions about the very nature of the universe, where it came from, where it's going, what it's got going on, and what it means to be human in this crazy, bonkers, beautiful, wet and wild universe that we find ourselves in. Usually I'm joined by my friend, co-host, and collaborator Jorge Cham, the fabulous cartoonist behind PhD Comics, but he's on vacation today, and so we have our wonderful, hilarious guest host, Katie Golden. Katie, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. And one of the things we like to do on this podcast is not just wonder about how the universe works, but also wonder about how we can make it work for us. One side benefit to understanding the universe, of course, is figuring out what those rules are and then bending them to our will, figuring out how to make our lives the best they can be given our knowledge of the universe. Why understand the nature of the universe if you can't, for example, invent a sentient toaster? Yeah, what the heck is the point? Like, come on, Daniel. Get on it. Modern medicine, energy independence, none of that is nearly as important as sentient toasters. I want my toaster to giggle when I put a toast in it. <laughs> Ticklish toasters? Wow, this is getting a little personal now. <laughs> But it does seem like we are making progress. I mean, I look around me and I see a lot of stuff that exists that feels sort of like the future. You know, I think electric cars are maybe the best example because every time I see an electric car sneak up on me super quiet or accelerate from zero to 60 in like two seconds, I'm like, wow, this definitely didn't happen when I was a kid. It makes me feel that jarring effect when the world just like changes quickly and feels like the very nature of human existence has suddenly shifted. It doesn't help that electric cars also have that spaceship noise, you know, when they kind of get close to you where it's like, I think that's great. It makes it harder for them to sneak up on you. But yeah, it also does give them that futuristic vibe. I wonder if everything that's getting electrified is going to have like a weird space noise. Like when you electrify your garden equipment, is your lawnmower going to make like beep, 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 beep sounds? I hope so. I, I think that it's really fun whenever sort of retro futurism becomes correct, like how the spaceship noises that cars make or or ads being everywhere. And it does really seem like everything is getting electrified, right? We're definitely aiming to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and other dirty technologies that are harming the planet and causing global climate change and making it like very hot right now where I am. I'm in Copenhagen for the summer and it is a ridiculous heat wave over here. I'm sitting in a little apartment, but I'm sweating down my back. And I'm sure lots of folks out there are experiencing the extreme weather we're having. So we were these sentient toasters the whole time. <laughs> are we the toaster or the toasty? Sometimes I feel like the toasted. We're toast. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't do something about our dependence on fossil fuels, we are definitely getting toasted. And so people have been making a lot of progress. Lots of stuff is getting electrified. It's really cool to see. But, you know, there is one industry that still relies entirely or exclusively on fossil fuels. 
and that is jet airplanes. It's one of the saddest parts about traveling where you think, well, there's no way to travel without using an immense amount of fossil fuels, but it's also so exciting that planes have brought our world so close together so that you can fly from the U.S. to Copenhagen or I can fly from the U.S. to Italy and so what the heck? Where's our electric planes, Daniel? Exactly. Where are our electric planes? Because we all know that it might require some sacrifices to adjust the patterns of human life so that they're more amenable to, you know, having our grandchildren not be living in caves, for example. But we hope that we don't have to give up international travel because, yeah, that changes the way the world feels. And it would be weird if we have to go back to a place where, you know, it took a long time to get to the other side of the planet where China was like days or weeks or months away. Imagine if you had to sail to get to China or to Japan or the Far East. You know, all of human culture would have sort of a shift in reverse. And it would look really weird in history how things got closer and closer and closer. And then for like 100 years or 50 years, the world felt like one place and then it cracked and broke again into various regions. It would be weird if that was a just a moment, a window in history. Yeah, that wouldn't be... Good, especially in terms of cuisine, because, you know, we would just suddenly have this stagnation and probably the British would have to go back to eating like weird horse parts and in America, I don't know what we would do. I don't know what American cuisine would look like without a steady flow of people from other countries, but I don't think it would be pretty. Oh my gosh, beans on toast all over the world. And so on the podcast today, we'll be asking the question... Why don't we have electric airplanes? If we've made so much progress electrifying everything else, toasters and garden equipment and boats and cars and all sorts of other stuff in your life, why don't we yet have electric airplanes? Why can't we make airplanes that are smooth and quiet and zero emission? And this is what some of you had to say about why we don't have electric airplanes. Some very clever responses. That's right. So before you hear these responses, think to yourself, do you know what the limitation is for electric airplanes? And if you'd like to participate for future podcast episodes, please write to us to questions at danielandjorge.com. Here's what some listeners had to say. We have lots of electric airplanes, but we don't have electric versions of, say, commercial passenger airliner type airplanes because we don't have good enough batteries. We don't have a way to store electricity that's as energy dense as jet fuel. I'm going with weight on that one. Well, actually, airplanes can lift a ton of weight. I'm going with uh, storage capacity or, or weight and storage capacity. I don't know if we could put some batteries together that could, could put out that much thrust or that much force for hours at a time and not just run out or overheat for that matter. Because they need more power and our electric motors aren't powerful enough to fly a plane, like they're okay for driving cars, but not for flying planes. My first thought on electric planes would be the electromagnetic field is so much stronger the further away you get, less atmosphere, less particles in the air. So I guess possibly that'd be an issue with running batteries that high. Um, having them last longer, perhaps it sap the batteries quicker. 
I guess that the reason for which we still no, do not have any electrical airplanes are technical limits in the energy storage. I think that the batteries are still too bulky and heavy to store enough energy to make them a viable solution for commercial flights. I'm thinking right now that we can do, you know, like those uh, trolleys or uh, trams in, that you have the electric cord and you just touch it and you can go. We can do that. Like... We can we can actually do a zip line between uh, U.S. like North America and uh, Europe and other continents and do this electric zip line electric airplanes. I don't know how you would get the the propulsion with an electric airplane. And besides, it probably would be extremely heavy. I feel like people came up with some pretty good ideas. I mean, speaking as someone who knows very little about batteries and how they might go inside of a plane. I do like zip lining electric airplanes. I, I like the idea of a transcontinental zip line. <laughs> transcontinental zip lines. Wow, that seems pretty crazy. I'm not sure I'd feel comfortable like snapping in to a zip line where I can't even see the other side and it's like stretching over the ocean. I mean, they're going to give you like a boat to fall into in case it snaps. <laughs> I don't think that would help. <laughs> Some like inflatable raft or something like I am definitely not glibbing into that. Yeah, just hold an inflatable raft under you and it'll be <laughs> fine. There's some good questions in here also, like the basic question of how an electric airplane does propulsion, right? How does it even move forward? If you're not burning gas and exploding the results out the back of a jet engine, how do you even get propulsion in an electric airplane, which is a good question. And then, of course, lots of good stuff about batteries. So why can't we just plug a plane into a battery, make a big old battery and get it going? Because it seems like if we can get a car to go... You know, we should just be able to scale that up to plane size. <laughs> yeah, why don't we just like strap a bunch of Teslas together and launch it into air, right? There's already Teslas in space, so we got them above the air and below the air. How could it be so hard? Well, it is tricky. And, uh, you know, to answer one of those listeners' questions about the propulsion mechanism, essentially we're talking about fans, right, about like turboprops. Just like in a Tesla, you have a battery, which then spins an electric engine and that engine pushes the air back. So you don't have a jet engine. There's no electrical equivalent of a jet engine, but you can spin something and spinning something is a fantastic way to get airborne and to, and to get this sort of forward thrust you need. But the real issue with an airplane is that airplanes need a lot of power because you need to move forward to get that lift over the wings that they also have to be light. Like this is not as much of a constraint on a car. A car just sits on the ground and you prefer it to be lighter because then you get better acceleration. But it's not like it doesn't work if it's heavy, right? And so for an airplane, you have this delicate balance between power needs and weight. And batteries are not great at that. Now, hang on, Daniel. You say that airplanes need to be light, but if you've ever tried to power lift an airplane all on your own, I think think you would find it's pretty heavy. <laughs> you're right. Airplanes are pretty heavy. These things do weigh tons, but there's a limit, right? If they're heavy enough, then they just cannot take off or you need an impossible amount of thrust. What you really need is energy density. You need lots of power per unit weight. If you just don't have enough power per weight of your fuel or of your battery, then you're not getting up off the ground. You can get off the ground if you're really heavy as long as you have enough power for all that weight. 
right? Which is how, for example, a 747 gets up off the ground because its engines are enormous and the energy density of its fuel source is pretty good. And that's why we use so much fuel for a plane, right? That's right. That's why we use so much fuel. And, you know, this actually reminds me of like the rocket ship problem, you know, taking off from the ground into the air is similar to like accelerating a rocket or lifting a rocket up into the air. When you lift a rocket, you know, it's only like the very tip top of the rocket that actually is like the payload, maybe the satellite or the people or whatever. Most of the rocket below it is fuel because you need to lift a bunch of fuel to lift the rocket. And then because the rocket is so heavy, you need more fuel to lift the rocket and it exponentially takes off. And pretty soon you're mostly fuel. And so that's the same problem with an airplane is that if your energy source like a battery is too heavy, then you need more power to lift that heavy battery. And so then you're going to need to bring more batteries, which are also need more power to lift them. And pretty soon you're trying to fly the Empire State Building. So if a human was a rocket or an airplane, basically we'd be 90% legs filled with like food, just kind of sloshing around. (laughs) And then like a teeny tiny head and teeny tiny body. That's disturbing. Oh, I love the biological analogy. Imagine if your stomach was like 95% of your volume. Wow, that'd take a lot of toast. And really the issue for batteries replacing jet fuel is that it just doesn't compare in terms of energy density. Like jet fuel, the reason it's so amazing is that it's super duper concentrated. There's so much energy packed in per kilogram of jet fuel because it's basically ancient sunlight that's been like boiled down into this chemical that stores that energy super duper effectively. So if you get a battery that could do the same amount of work as jet fuel, the battery is going to be a lot heavier. The battery is going to be a lot heavier. Exactly. So we measure this in terms of energy density. So that's like energy per weight. So like watt hours per kilogram. And you know, watt hours is a really weird unit because watts are like energy per time. And then you multiply by time to just get energy back. So I understand why they don't just use energy instead of watt hours. But anyway, this is sort of the standard. And jet fuel is really, really good in terms of energy density. It has like 12,000 watt hours for every kilogram of jet fuel. And if you're not familiar with what a watt hour is, here's like a stat to get you acquainted. Like one person working for eight hours doing manual labor can do about 500 watt hours of work in an eight hour day. So that's half of a kilowatt hour in an eight hour day. So that's what, you know, an individual person can do. So that's what a watt hour is. That's a lot of watt hours. And, you know, you probably, for example, looked at a light bulb and seen, oh, this light bulb is a hundred watt bulb that measures how much energy it uses per time. And so, for example, you have a hundred watt bulb. It takes 10 hours to use a thousand watt hours because a hundred watts times 10 hours gives you a thousand watt hours or a kilowatt. So it gives you a sense for like how much a kilowatt is. And jet fuel is really concentrated. It has 12 kilowatt hours per kilogram of jet fuel. So like a kilogram of jet fuel, which is, you know, a couple pounds of jet fuel is as much energy as like 25 guys working all day. So this stuff is really, really dense with energy. All right. Well, if we get a bunch of guys 
in an airplane on a giant hamster <laughs> wheel running the engine, I think we've cracked it. The problem is 25 guys weighs a lot more than one kilogram, right? That's the amazing thing is that there's all this energy in one kilogram of jet fuel. What about 25 real, real little guys? <laughs> 25 tiny elves that could do as much work as 25 grown men. Santa's really onto something. <laughs> that's why he uses elf labor. That's the amazing thing about jet fuel. And you know, that's why it takes millions of years to boil it down from sunlight into plants, photosynthesizing and then decaying and then getting compressed and turning into jet fuel. It's amazing stuff. It really is pretty incredible. It's just too bad. It's so bad for the environment. Yeah, because when you think about it, it's like Earth has been creating this fine wine for millions of years, just concentrated sunlight. And then we just kind of burn all of it up. It's too bad that we're not a little more respectful of this, this stuff that Earth has been cooking and storing so much carbon in for so long. That's right. Well, I guess we will be when we run out of it. And so the relevant comparison, the reason that like batteries can't power an airplane right now is that they just don't have the same energy density. They have about 250 watt hours per kilogram. That compares to 12,000 for jet fuel. So it's a factor of like 40 or 50. Jet fuel has 40 to 50 times as much energy per kilogram than like the best batteries we have today. I understand why jet fuel is light because it's super concentrated, but why can't we get batteries to be super concentrated? That's a great question. And we'll talk about it in a minute when we talk about the physics of batteries and how people are working on making better batteries. But first, let's take a quick break. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. 
Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. So I just asked you, Daniel, why can't we make batteries super concentrated? Like maybe put a super dense neutron star inside a battery or a really muscular hamster in a hamster wheel. How do we get a battery that is super dense, but not too heavy that it takes down a plane? Yeah, well, the answer is we're just not smart enough yet. It might be theoretically possible to make a battery that energy dense. We just haven't really figured it out yet. And part of that comes from the materials we use to make batteries, of course, because you want really light stuff in your battery if you don't want it to be really heavy. But to dig into that, we probably have to have a better idea of like how batteries actually work. Yeah, because when I look at a battery, it's just this little canister of mystery that I put into my clocks <laughs> and my remote and it makes them go. But I just think of like, okay, I know there's acid in there, right? Because when I leave a battery out for too long, it this acid spills out. But the rest of it is very mysterious to me. Yeah, batteries are actually really amazing. And I had a lot of fun digging into the chemistry of how batteries work. So this is going to be like between my expertise and yours, because like I think of chemistry sort of sitting between physics and biology. But it's still pretty fun stuff. Kudos to all the chemists out there. Of course, we love you. Yeah, let's get chemical, <laughs> chemical. And so the way a battery works is you have to have two different kinds of materials. Each one sits in sort of like a fluid, like an electrolyte. And you got to find two different weird metals. Metal number one has some kind of atom that really wants to dissolve into that fluid. And when it does so, it leaves behind an electron. So you need some sort of like kind of atom that has like an electron on its outer shells that it really wants to get rid of. And it's dying to like dissolve into this liquid so that when it does, it leaves behind that electron in like the bulk. So you have like a slab of metal and it's dropping little bits of that metal into the liquid and it's gathering extra electrons. So it's getting more and more charged as it happens. So that's like metal number one. In one corner, it's becoming more and more like electronified. Right. It's just very annoyed with its own electrons. So it's trying to escape by <laughs> dissolving and then leaving behind a bunch of annoying electrons. And then on the other side, you've got the opposite situation. You find some metal whose atoms really don't want to leave it. Like they want to reattach. If you have them in solution, they want to like precipitate out of solution and back onto the bulk. But to do so, they need another electron. 
Like they want to form bonds with their friends back in the blob, but they can't do it without another electron. So you have this material here that like wants electrons. And then you just connect them with a wire. And what happens is that all the extra electrons from metal A will flow along the wire to where the electrons are wanted, because that's what electrons do. They go where they are needed, right? And you might wonder like, well, how do the electrons know to go from A to B? It's not like, you know, this little electronmonster.com where it's like advertising for electrons over here, please. Craigslist for electrons, missed connections, <laughs> looking for a metal who needs an extra. And it's fun to think about electricity microscopically. And the key to doing that is remembering that in physics, everything is local, right? There's never like piece A says to piece B, hey, send me all your electrons or the other way around, or here come a bunch of electrons. Everything is super local. It's all about like one particle talking to another. And so at some point along that wire, you're going to have a spot where it wants an electron. It's ready to take an electron. It's going to be next to a spot that has an extra electron. That's going to be like the interface. And it's going to suck up that electron because that's what it can do. Wanting an electron means that there's like a low potential there for an electron to fall into. And then because it's stolen one electron, now another electron further down the wire is going to say, I'm crowded over here with all my friends, the extra electrons. And it's going to slide over into that empty spot. And then essentially that just happens over and over again. So it's kind of like a relay race or, or what am I trying to say? What are those things where you like are in a big line and you're passing one item down the line? It's like an assembly line. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think of. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's just like an assembly line. And the net effect is that you get electricity because you're moving electrons from one side to the other. They're flowing through the wire. And so you get electricity flowing from that wire that connects A to B. So A will dissolve more, getting more and more electrons flowing along the wire to B, who needs those electrons to let its lost bits reattach to its bulk. So that's what a battery is. You just got to find metals with those properties and suspend them in this electrolyte, connect them with a wire and boom, you got a battery. And that's to release the electricity. If you want to recharge the battery, you just have to somehow force electricity the other way. You like put a potential across it and drag the electrons the way they don't want to go. Then the opposite chemistry will happen. All the depositing and the dissolving that were happening before will reverse and that's how you recharge a battery. You like return it to its original state. And so that's the physics and I guess the chemistry and maybe the psychology of how a battery works. That's what happens every time I recharge my phone when I let it get down to like 1%. I'm just forcing all those electrons back in reverse in their conga line. And I imagine they're not too happy about it. <laughs> Exactly. Now we have to worry about the feelings of individual electrons. Man, I'm never going to get anything done. I got to write so many I'm sorry cards to those electrons. Or maybe we should just do everything democratically, right? Every time we make a decision, we have all the particles vote and then we just do what everybody wants. I'm not sure we're going to get anything done. And I feel like that would be very explosive if we talked to certain electrons. <laughs> And so the thing that limits us, the thing that tells us how energy dense a battery is, because remember, our goal here is to have a lot of energy stored with a very few kilograms are the weights of the materials we're using. Right. And here, for example, lithium here is an excellent, excellent choice for building batteries because lithium, for example, is on that side of the periodic table where it really wants to lose an electron. 
right? And so it's very good for building this kind of metal. And then you can mix it with other kinds of stuff like cobalt and other stuff. And you can get the opposite kind. You can get both A and B. You can get the depositor and the dissolver using lithium. And lithium also is pretty low on the periodic table. So it's not that heavy, right? It's element number three after all. Right. So we've already got a pretty light metal. It's just not, not light enough to make these batteries as light as gas or as light as jet fuel. Exactly. And the key is what lithium is connected with. It's not pure lithium, right? These are lithium ions and lithium alloys. And currently we use things like cobalt in there to make the particular mix of elements we need to get a good dissolver or a good depleter. And so that's really the key is how much energy is released per electron that moves from A to B, right? And so if you can get either more energy released from A to B, which depends on, you know, the energy levels of the atom you're dealing with, or you can get the atoms to be lighter, then you can get a better energy density ratio. And that's exactly what people are working on. First of all, people are working on like making lithium ion batteries more powerful without switching to some new kind of technology, some new basic element. And people are working on that every year, like shaving off a little bit here or making that more efficient or tweaking with a kind of, um, you know, mixtures of stuff that you need. And we're seeing some improvement, like the lithium ion batteries that we have now have twice the energy density as the first prototypes that were invented in the 1990s. So that's some pretty good progress. Yeah, our phones keep getting smaller or sometimes bigger, depending on what people want. <laughs> I can't figure it out. They're getting thinner, but wider. And eventually our phones will be able to toast bread and maybe even fly across the ocean. Sure, I'm into it. But yeah, so we have the lithium, which really wants to shed its electron that people are working on to maybe make that more, either more efficient or try to use another lighter element than lithium. Do we have any issues with the dissolvent? Like what is the other metal that is trying to get the electron? Yeah, it's mostly lithium, but they mix in the cobalt and other kinds of stuff in there. And, you know, without getting too nitty gritty onto the chemistry, uh, folks I talked to said that they think that lithium ion batteries might be able to get twice as energy dense as we have them today. Right now we're like 250 watt hours per kilogram. We might be able to get up to like 400 500 by 2035. So that's a factor of two. That's pretty good. But that means we're still like a factor of 20 away from jet fuel. And that's not going to make for an economical airplane. We'll have wafer thin phones though. <laughs> yeah, well, they just get bigger and bigger and last longer and longer and people won't care. I keep pushing for a smaller and smaller phone, but everybody around me has these like basically these like mini tablets in their pocket. I don't understand. Maybe I have just like little pointy fingers, but I'm also team small phone. <laughs> it's got to fit in your pocket or it's not a phone, right? Right, exactly. It's got to fit in girl pockets too. <laughs> People, scientists either invent girl pockets that are bigger or phones that are smaller. Pick one. <laughs> My daughter has discovered this also that like pants for women don't have real pockets and she is outraged. She's like, what's the deal here? Like, why do I have to wear men's pants if I want pockets? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Sometimes the pockets are just a ruse too. It just looks like a pocket and there's nothing there. So, you know, we need to crack the code for electric airplanes so we can save the planet. And we need to crack the code for women's pockets so we can put freaking phones in there, guys. 
We might be able to solve the secrets of the universe on this podcast, but I don't think we're ever going to crack the secrets of fashion. That is definitely just beyond us. But back to the researchers, you know, these folks have been working on this for a while and they actually won a Nobel Prize in 2019 for the development of lithium batteries. Like it was a big step forward when people were able to make lithium batteries work. They're much lighter, much more rechargeable, uh, much more efficient, and also more cycles than other kinds of batteries. Like you want a battery that can hold a lot of energy. You also want it to be reusable. You don't want like a disposable airplane, right? You don't want a car that you charge it up, you use it, and then it's done. I do imagine with a disposable airplane, it just flies from airport A right into a junkyard where people <laughs> disembark. I know, I know. And we're all experienced with like lithium batteries working really, really well when you first get your phone or your laptop and then degrading. That's because they start to grow these like filaments and deposits on the surface of the lithium bits that prevent them from depositing or depleting as well. But they've gotten pretty good. You know, a laptop, for example, they expect it to be able to recharge it like 500 or a thousand times over the lifetime of the laptop. And for a Tesla, for example, the goal is that it lasts like 10 years, which is something like, you know, maybe 3000 charges. So lithium batteries already really impressive. I feel like we're sort of already living in the future for lithium batteries. But of course, they're not yet good enough. Yeah, I mean, so because if we wanted to make a really tiny plane, we could potentially have a battery strong enough. Could we have like personal, a plane for one person that could have a modern day battery in it? Or are they still not efficient enough? No, we'll talk about that in a minute. And you can probably have electric airplanes for a smaller number of people. But if we want to do like, you know, cargo or 747s, that's going to be a challenge. And so people are working on other technologies to improve batteries. The problem is that some of them are also not that stable, right? You want something that has a lot of energy per electron and can also can give that up and doesn't weigh a lot. But some of these combinations are literally explosive. This is what I was going to ask because we've seen these stories of Teslas just spontaneously combusting and driving around on autopilot while on fire, which is bad enough for a car. It seems particularly frightening if it's a plane. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they have these limitations on like even checking something in your luggage that has a lithium battery in it for that reason. And so people are really careful about the stability of these things. And some of these technologies that people are working on for the future of batteries involve like lithium in combination with oxygen or lithium in combination with fluoride, because fluoride is very powerful and very and much lower on the periodic table than cobalt. So you can get a lot more energy like per electron, maybe even up to 20 times our current batteries, which would bring us like in the realm of jet fuel. But it's very tricky and nobody's really sure if you can make a lithium fluoride battery work and if you can overcome the stability issues. Right. It seems like when we try to have some of these really, really uh, light flying aircraft options, sometimes it kind of ends up in a Heisenberg. <laughs> the Hindenburg. <laughs> Hindenburg. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle for really futuristic planes where the plane just blips out of existence and the Hindenburg for the uh, more uh, balloon-shaped planes. That's right. That seems like a very significant problem because every kind of engineering issue that you would have on the ground is going to be even more drastic when you have it in the air because you have this giant hunk of metal 
that you do not want to suddenly explode and lose that sort of airborne nature. Do you know like how we make these chemicals more stable? Are people working on trying to get them to be safer or is it just too hard to get these combinations of chemicals to be stable? People are definitely working on it and mad props to these folks because this is crazy materials engineering. You know, it's not like you start from Legos and you get to build anything you want that can do anything you want. You got to start from the materials we have around and the properties that they have, you know, and so you're very limited in your toolkit and combining these things in just the right way to get the electron transfer without being explosive. It's a real challenge. And there's lots of folks around the country working on this stuff because not only would it be like hugely valuable, right, like to be able to make batteries 20 times as energy dense as the current ones, like, wow, that patent would be worth a jillion dollars. But also it's a fun puzzle. You know, I work at like the smallest little particles and think about how you can combine them to make other particles, but this is much more difficult. These folks really are limited in the toolkit they have. And so mad props to everybody out there creating new kinds of goo and all sorts of new materials that have these weird electronic properties. Maybe someday we could have just like a sort of bag full of liquid, like a water balloon type thing we put in a plane that's just is a big old squishy battery full of good chemicals. <laughs> that would be cool, especially if the battery could get like used up and smaller. Another real downside of batteries we haven't even talked about is that the battery doesn't like shrink as you use it, right? Jet fuel, as you burn it up, it disappears. So a 747 is much lighter when it lands than when it takes off. And so it's like not using as much jet fuel for the second half of its trip as it did for the first half of its trip. But that's not true for a battery, right? A battery doesn't get lighter as you use it up. And so that airplane is just as heavy in the second half as the first half. So they actually would have to be more energy dense than jet fuel to have the same basic economics. Not if we make strip poker compulsory on planes and everybody has to participate and throw their clothes out the window. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and what if those clothes have AI? Then we have to ask those clothes, you know, how do you feel about this situation? Yeah, darn it. Darn those super intelligent shirts. But uh, I want to hear more about my own personal aircraft. But before then, let's take a quick break while I see if I have enough money to buy myself my own personal little bubble aircraft. I think I've got some change in my couch I'm going to go through. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, so, Daniel, how am I going to get my little electrified Katy plane that can just carry me and maybe my dog across the Atlantic just on a whim and I park it in a garage. Like how close are we to that? Well, you know, that might be a reality pretty soon. This energy density issue is an issue for long flights where the plane is really, really heavy and you need to go really, really far. But if you're willing to take a smaller, lighter airplane or just not go as far, then it's totally possible to have electric airplanes. And some of you might even remember that crazy flight of the Voyager that was solar powered. Remember that one that flew around the world for like 24 hours? That was an electric airplane because it took energy directly from the sun and used it to power its motors. Yeah, because when you're flying a plane, usually you get above the cloud cover. So it seems like having a solar power airplane is a pretty good solution if you can get it to work. 
if you can get it to work. And the key for that airplane was it was super duper light and had almost no cargo. And the pilots, for example, like lost a bunch of weight before they even took off. You know, like uh, they didn't even bring a toothbrush along. You know, this is very, very much on the edge of what people could do. So you definitely could not use solar power to power a large, heavy airplane where you're actually carrying stuff and people. But it turns out that the biggest part of flying actually is not like launching 747s from here to China. Most of the people who take airplane trips don't go internationally or, you know, from L.A. to Sydney, something like Half of the airline tickets sold last year were for shorter trips, like under 500 miles. And the airplanes that we use for those trips right now are actually ones designed for much longer flights. And so it's really pretty inefficient right now. We're using these like airplanes designed for a thousand mile flights on all these short little hops. So I sense that you're saying flying cars from L.A. to San Diego. Am I wrong? <laughs> Yes, exactly. You know, like if you fly from LA to San Diego, it's just like 100 miles, then the airplane basically never has a chance to get up to cruising speed where it's most efficient for using jet fuel. So it's like always speeding up or always slowing down. And that's really inefficient. And so produces a huge amount of CO2 sort of per mile. And so instead, if you develop like smaller airplanes that are not capable of doing these longer flights, but are only capable of doing 100, 300, 500 mile trips, then you don't need as much energy because the whole plane is smaller, is lighter. And so that opens up this window where you can like satisfy a huge fraction of air travel much more efficiently than you can with jet fuel. So with these planes, they would take like the pilot and then maybe 10 people or something like little, little tiny commuter planes. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And people are working on lots of different kinds of stuff. And this is real. This is not like, you know, people are doing research and maybe this will happen in 2060. You know, United Airlines invested a billion dollars last year in an e-plane startup. This is for an aircraft that's designed to fly like up to 60 miles and just carry like five-ish people. And they're expecting to have like commercial flights in 2024. So that's basically around the corner. Like, and this is a billion dollars by a big company. This is not like, you know, somebody investing a million dollars on a whim. This is a real investment. This is the kind of thing that's actually going to happen. Now, do these aircrafts like get up to the altitude that the larger planes do? Or are they more low flying? Yeah, I think for shorter flights, you don't need to get as high, but you definitely want to get up to a certain height for the lower air pressure. So there's less resistance and then you can be more efficient. But there are people working on all sorts of different scales of these things. You know, there are some people working on even larger ones. The largest plane anybody has made so far that actually has flown like in reality in our universe is like a retrofitted version of a Cessna. And it can take nine passengers and it's fully battery powered. And this is something that like exists today. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's kind of like, because when I think about some things that feel like impossible flying feats, I think about the Quetzalcoatlus, which is this ancient pterosaur, which is like a pterodactyl, but the size of a small Cessna aircraft, which after researchers found its bones, they thought, okay, maybe it has wings, but maybe it just didn't fly because it was so big. But they were able to work out through physics and math that, yeah, they could actually fly and they probably flew these long distances. But of course, these things don't use jet fuel to fly. They just use the power of 
muscles and whatever unfortunate little probably proto-mammals they were eating. So this idea that if a pterosaur can figure it out, seems like we should be able to figure it out without using jet fuel. Yeah. And it goes back to the question you asked originally, like, why can't you get this thing off the ground if you have enough batteries? And the answer is you can. You can basically fly almost anything you want, put enough batteries on it. It just won't go for very long. And so if you want any distance at all, you got to find that sweet spot between shorter distances and smaller airplanes so they can actually take off. And so that's what people are working on. And, uh, you know, people are hoping that like by 2030, there might even be a electric jet that can fly like 150 people up to 500 kilometers. EasyJet is working with a startup called Wright Electronic to develop this kind of prototype that might be in service in 2030. So we have the technology today for these smaller planes to go smaller distances. And there's also real advantages. You know, we talked about the energy density of jet fuel, but we haven't talked about the cost. Like jet fuel, that's expensive stuff. As you say, it's been cooking for millions of years. You got to get it from under the ground, right? It's complicated. Whereas electricity, you know, it just falls down on earth from the sun and you can create it in lots of different ways. And the cost of electricity is really dropping because of the amazing solar power build out. And so one of these Cessnas that was retrofitted with an electric engine, for example, it costs like five bucks to take a flight, whereas otherwise it would have been $400 in jet fuel. So airlines are pretty interested in this because that's a huge part of their cost is spending on jet fuel. And I, as a passenger and someone who does like the planet, uh, am also interested. <laughs> You're pro-planet? I'm pro-planet because I live here. I'm biased. And so I think what we might see is like a real revolution in the way air travel works. Because if you have a lot of these smaller, cheaper airplanes that can go shorter distances, then you can actually start taking advantage of a lot of little airports. You ever drive down the highway and you see like a little airport and there's basically nobody taking off? Well, there's tons and tons of these underused regional airports all over the country. We already have the infrastructure to make these short flights to go from like little airport to little airport. Those things already exist. And so all we need are the airplanes. Basically, it's just the airlines dominated from mega airport to mega airport. But smaller airplanes that can go shorter distances and cheaper, we're going to get to like this much richer network of destinations. You know, that would really change the, the tapestry of big countries like the U.S. too, because currently things like where jobs are located, where people can find work, even things like the success of farms, depends on proximity to airports. And if you have more airports for commuters to be able to fly to, it seems like it'll mean that, you know, we won't have as much, because right now we have this big problem of population density in these big cities where people have to crowd, you know, people wonder like, well, why does everyone go to LA or, or San Francisco or New York, these big cities? A lot of places people are dependent on being near an airport. And so if we kind of spread out the airports, it seems like we'll be able to have more jobs kind of spread out throughout the U.S. Yeah, exactly. And so I sort of look forward to that possibility where people can take these little hops from place to place on a quiet, 
clean, cheap electric airplane. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. But people, of course, are still working on the long haul. We talked at the beginning of the podcast about like connecting different parts of the world. And, you know, if you can't take a flight from here to Japan in 12 hours, it really takes a lot longer to get there. If you have to take like, you know, 15 little hops to get from here to Japan, it really would make the world feel different. And so it's definitely worth working on. But, you know, it seems hard to understand how we could get there unless we manage one of these like incredible breakthroughs in battery technology using like lithium fluoride. So people are being creative and working on like weird other solutions. One of my favorites is this idea of like wireless power transmission. We talk about like carrying the energy with you on a battery. But we've also talked in the podcast about crazy ways to get around the universe on things like solar sails, which is this thing which, you know, gathers the energy of the sun and uses it to push yourself through space. And the advantage there is you're not bringing any fuel with you. You don't have to like carry the weight of the fuel and then the weight of more fuel to push that fuel. So people are talking about like beaming energy to the plane. What if you don't have to have a huge battery? You just like fire a laser at a spot on the plane that's like absorbing that energy, turns it into electricity and then spins the engines. But if someone gets in front of that energy beam, like say a flock of birds, they just get bisected, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And this is sort of similar to what we've talked about on the podcast. Another time we talked about space-based solar power, like gathering energy up in space and then beaming it down to Earth using either lasers or microwaves. It seems a little bonkers, like you're inventing a death ray. But, you know, people have tried this. NASA has actually done this, demonstrated this technology with like a small unmanned solar craft that you could like beam energy to it and like recharge its batteries and it can fly longer because it doesn't have to have as big a battery if you can recharge it. I'm not sure how they would do that for like international flights. Like you'd have to have like laser stations in the ocean to like recharge these things or beam it down from space from satellites. The whole thing seems kind of impractical, but you know, today's impractical idea maybe is tomorrow's future. But it would, if you did get in the path of one of these energy beams, you would be toast, right? Because that seems like you would need a pretty concentrated high energy thing there. Or, or are they not as deadly as they sound? No, you're exactly right. And in the case of space-based solar power, they avoid that by having the beams not be very dense and having like really large collection stations on the ground. But you can't do that for an airplane, right? An airplane is the size of an airplane. And so, yeah, basically you're like zapping death rays in the air all over the planet just so you can go to Japan and do some shopping. Right. You'd have two problems if you miss the plane. One, the plane wouldn't get its energy and that would go down. And the other, whatever you're hitting on the ground is not going to be too happy with having its atoms completely rearranged. Yep. And then on the other side from like zapping your airplane with a hot laser is the idea of bringing other kinds of fuel or like a hybrid. Remember when we went to electric cars, we didn't go straight to electric cars. We went to hybrid, which had like, you know, gas powered engine that could recharge your electric engine. And the electric engine was just for like getting around a little bit around town. Well, people are talking about hybrid approaches to airplanes where you have like a battery, but also you bring something along like hydrogen, which is like a fuel cell that can create electricity. And the advantage there is that like hydrogen is much more energy dense than a battery. It's not quite as good as jet fuel, but it's much better than a battery. 
so you can like effectively bring along more energy. I'm getting a deja vu though. Talking about hydrogen gives me a unsettling sense of deja vu with other aircrafts that maybe shouldn't use hydrogen. <laughs> exactly. That is dangerous. And also these fuel cells have to be very cold, like negative 423 degrees Fahrenheit. And so not only do you have to bring the hydrogen, but then you have to bring along like very complicated cooling equipment to keep this thing frozen. And so it gets very complicated very quickly. But you know, there's some nice advantages to these hybrid solutions because you can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Right. We just don't want like a Hindenburg situation with the hydrogen. Nobody wants that. And you know, we could also do some other kind of combination where you have like some hydrocarbon fuel like jet fuel plus some batteries as a hybrid. And there are ways to do that in a sustainable way. We can take solar power, for example, and use it to generate hydrocarbons to like pull carbon out of the air and generate our own synthetic fuel and use that to power our airplanes. And then, you know, when you burn it, it releases that carbon back into the atmosphere, but you've already pulled it out of the atmosphere to make the fuel. So it's not like you're releasing ancient carbon there that was stored millions of years ago back into the atmosphere. It's like fresh carbon you just took out of the atmosphere, store into fuel, and then release again. So there are ways to make like hydrocarbon fuels that are net carbon zero for the planet. And maybe combine that a little bit with some batteries and some electric propulsion, and you might get net carbon zero long haul electric airplanes. That'd be cool. I just hope that's not too explosive. Exactly. And the bigger picture is that we have lots of ways to get there. Um, maybe improved battery technologies will let us get to the same energy density as jet fuel. Or maybe some of these other clever, crazy solutions will let us get enough energy stored on a really huge plane to fly it halfway across the world. But even if we don't, we have bright prospects for short hop electric airplanes that can get you from L.A. to San Diego or from New York to Philly or somewhere else to somewhere else. And so I think we'll be seeing those a lot in our life. And pretty soon it's going to feel kind of like the future. You know, now that I think about it, giant death rays getting you from L.A. to Japan actually seems really cool. And I'm kind of on board. <laughs> it's pretty metal. It does sound like something in a science fiction novel. And maybe it can automatically toast your bread, right? Just sort of stick your bread out the window and it gets zapped by the laser. Kill two birds with one giant death ray. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and for going on this crazy electrified ride with us. Stay tuned for more episodes about everything that's crazy about the universe and the future of technology. Thanks for listening. And remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.